Father, we thank you that that is true, that you are the God who is roaring with power. You're the God who is the lamb who was slain for us, the God of both power and love, the God of truth and grace. Lord, that is what we long for this afternoon, that we might know you and hear from you and encounter you. Lord, please, as we turn to your words, would your spirit now help us to understand this? In Jesus' name, amen. Great, please take a seat. Amazing. Um, Well, my name is John T, and it's my privilege and joy to open up um, God's word uh, with, with you this afternoon. If you haven't got a Bible, there are some at the back. Um, if you'd like one, why not wave a hand and Alistair's going to come running to you if you'd like. Anyone want a Bible? Yes, you see one down here at the front. See, we do think it's really important that you have a Bible in front of you so that you can check that what we're saying is really what the Bible says. We really don't want you just to believe things because the person at the front says so. We want you to be able to see it for yourself. And if you've got a Bible, then can you turn to page 969? Page 969. And we're going to pick up in the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we've been working through for the last um, few weeks. We've basically done the introduction. Let me give you a previously in the Sermon on the Mount. This is where we've got to. Jesus has brought the kingdom of heaven to earth. It is an incredible, momentous, extraordinary thing that Jesus has done. And we talked about it being a revolution. That Jesus has brought about something extraordinary. The kingdom of heaven has come into the kingdom of this world. And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus teaching us how to live in that kingdom. What are the values of that kingdom? What is life in that kingdom like? And we've really looked at his introduction where he said, these are the values, that's the Beatitudes. And then he said, if you live this way, you'll be like salt and light. You'll stand out in this world. You'll shine. But now we're going to get to the kind of heart of his sermon. What is, the, what is the main thing Jesus wants us to understand? What is the big thing that Jesus says, this is what life in my kingdom is like? And I think it's quite a surprise. Dan, can you turn me down a little bit? I feel like I'm feeding back and I'm going to get louder as we get going. So I really don't want to blast people. Thank you. I think this is a surprise. You see, what Jesus says... In verse 17, which we're about to read, is do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. That's what Jesus um, starts with in this kind of explanation of his kingdom. Now that must mean that if you've been listening carefully, you might be in danger of thinking he's come to abolish the law and the prophets. See, if I start my sermon today and I say, look, I don't want you to think that I'm, a, that I'm anti-dogs. That would be a weird way to start unless I'd given you some reason in the lead up to this sermon that you might think I'm anti-dogs, right? I don't want you to give the impression I'm anti-dogs. Jesus says, I don't want you to think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Because all this talk of kingdom all sounds very new, It all sounds very exciting. The kingdom of heaven is here. 
And it would be tempting to think, hooray, the kingdom of heaven has come. We can forget all of the stuff that's gone before. It's something new. But what Jesus is going to do in this paragraph we're going to explore today is he's going to explain to us how his kingdom relates to all that's gone before. The law and the prophets is basically the Old Testament. The first three quarters of your Bible that you're holding. Jesus is going to show us how what he's come to do is not abolishing that, but fulfilling it. And the reason I say this is the heart of his sermon is because if you just keep a finger in chapter 5 and flip over um, two pages... In fact, just one page, well, I will actually do. At the bottom of page 971, look what Jesus says. He's said a whole load of stuff that we'll explore in the next few months. But at the end of, event, the end of it, chapter 7, verse 12, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish the law of the prophets. What I'm teaching you sums up everything the law and the prophets said. And so Jesus says, you want to understand life in the kingdom of heaven, look at the law and the prophets. Which is slightly surprising for us. Because there are some things in the law and the prophets which are slightly strange. Okay, let's, let's play the game, obey or not obey. I'm going to give you a command from the Old Testament. You have to decide, do you think this is a command that we should obey or not obey? You happy to play this game? I can tell you're excited. <laughs> I'm, going to make, I'm going to make it a game that you can play in your head. You don't have to like, put your hand, we're not doing any of that. This is just an internal game. You shall not murder. Good, have we all got an answer? I'm really hoping your answer is the same as mine. Right. Uh, you, you must not eat shrimps. Is that a command we obey or not obey? You should not harvest to the edge of your field. Is that a command we obey or not obey? Don't wear clothing of two mixed cloths. Oh, these are getting more difficult, right? Don't eat anything with blood in it. How do you decide? Do we just do an arbitrary sort of, well, we sort of like those ones, but those ones, no, let's not do those. How do you decide? I really hope that by the end of this time together, you will have an answer to that and you will know how to decide. Big claim. We'll see how we get on. Let's read the passage, right? Here's what Jesus says. Look, these are Jesus' words, words from the very lips of our king, our champion, our hero, our God. Let's listen to his words. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is a remarkable paragraph. And we're going to have some fun kind of unpacking it together and learning and listening and hopefully being transformed by what Jesus teaches here. I've got two big things I want us to see. Firstly, in terms of the law, as we think of the law and the prophets, the first part of the Bible, Jesus is very clear. He's not abolishing it. He's fulfilling it. Right? You can all see that. It's what he says. I've not come to abolish it. There are some things in life that are great to abolish, aren't they? There are some things in life to get rid of. Some of you have never had the joy of going to the dump. Going to the dump is one of life's real joys. As you, know, as you accumulate rubbish in your life, or as you've got, you know, you've got a horrible, you, know, you move into a flat and you've got a horrible kind of disgusting, I won't pick a color because one of you might have it, kind of um, bathroom suite. It's disgusting and you hate it. And one day you get to abolish it, right? You get to smash it out and you put it in. You, it's amazing. You just dump it in the thing. It's like... It's so freeing. You abolished. So to abolish something is so liberating. And do you know what? I think many of us think that that's what Jesus came to do with the law. There was this nasty law that God gave his people. It was hard. And it made life really difficult. And God's people were constantly having to keep the law. And it was all very miserable. But then Jesus come and he's abolished it. Yeah, and now we're free. Isn't it easy to sort of feel like that? Have you ever found yourself thinking, oh, I really wish I lived in the Old Testament times. I really wish I lived under those laws. I wish that I could study Leviticus and Deuteronomy and and then just live it every moment of my life. I just wish that. No, because we think that we are free from that. If that's what you think, you're really wrong. Because Jesus says he's not come to abolish it at all. And the reason this matters is because we think of laws in the wrong way. It's very difficult in our culture and in our world to get excited about law, isn't it? I know some people study it and they love it. Great. What I mean is, The highway code, for example, it's very difficult to get excited about the highway code. Very difficult to kind of, you know, come across a 20 mile an hour speed limit sign and go, oh, look, look, I love it. I love driving at 20 miles an hour. Can we reduce it? Can we do less? We don't. It annoys us. It's a burden. Now, why they made it 20? And it frustrates us. But when you read law in the Bible, you have to understand that law is a whole different thing. Law is the instruction of a father to their child. Law is the beautiful explanation from God to his people of how life is supposed to work. Here's the remarkable thing. When God's people had the law, they loved it. Right, listen, to, listen to this, right? the words on the screen, have a look at this. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 4. This is what Moses said. 
He said, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? If that finished there, we go, yeah, yes, Moses. What other nation is so great as to have their God near them? Look what he says next. And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws that I'm setting before you today? All of them, including shrimps. What other, what other nation is so great as us to have this law, Israel says? It was a privilege. And in fact, I don't know if you were um, paying attention when Kenan was reading from Psalm 119 at the start of his prayer. Where the, the psalmist says, I delight in your commands. Psalm 119 is a psalm, a massive psalm, all about how much the psalmist loves God's law. Oh, how I love your law. I love your law. He doesn't walk into the bathroom and go, what a disgusting colored toilet this law is. He says, I love it. Oh, how I love your law. So the law, as it was originally given, was so good. It was such a precious gift to his people. And the law was given to Israel to set them apart from all the other nations, to make them different. And at the heart of the law was love. Love God. And love one another. Treat one another with justice. Care for the poor. If you see a nest on the ground with a a bird in it and her young, don't just kill them all. Let the mother go free. (laughs) Wow. Laws that protected the weak, that looked after the vulnerable, laws that were passionate about justice and what is good, this is God's law. And it was supposed to set Israel apart. So don't ever let's think that the law in the Old Testament was somehow this terrible, terrible thing that now has been abolished. No, it's not been abolished. But notice as well that Jesus doesn't say, do not think I've come to abolish the law, I've come to maintain it, or underline it, or repeat it. No, he doesn't say that either. He's not come simply to take the law and to repeat it for the new day. In fact, there was a problem with this law. You see, the law was so good, it was so good, but there was a problem with it. And the problem with the law was that it, the people couldn't live it. Their hearts were continually going astray. God said, live this way. And they said, no, we'll go this way. And so the law, actually, which was supposed to be so good, actually started to condemn them because they broke it. And they found themselves now living under the curse of the law because they couldn't keep it. And so it's very clear that the law, as it was originally given, was never going to be enough. But it was never intended to be. It was always intended for something more. And so what Jesus says is, I've not come to abolish it, I've come to fulfill it. Fulfill is one of Matthew's favorite words. It's how he describes what Jesus is doing. He's already used it like seven times in his gospel. 
Jesus was born in Bethlehem to fulfill the prophet. Jesus had to escape to Egypt to fulfill the prophet. But what does it mean that he came to fulfill the law? Well, I want to imagine an acorn. Okay, when, you, when you have an acorn, when you hold an acorn, do you see that within that acorn, there's the, fo- there's the potential for an oak tree, right? That's cool. You're holding the potential. For- but it's not an oak tree. But it is sort of. What does that oak tree need to do? What does the acorn need to do? It needs to fulfill its potential. It needs to become what it has the potential to be. So you plant it in the ground and you wait for it to grow and then when you're dead and other people are dead and then your children's children, children will see an oak tree. The oak tree hasn't abolished the acorn, it's fulfilled the acorn, right? So what you have in the law, please really think about this, right? What you have in the law is the potential of the kingdom of heaven. All of it locked up in the law. But it's not the full kingdom of heaven yet. It was limited to one nation, to Israel. It was, it was only ever a, a, an acorn of the law. It was always pointing forward to something greater. Pointing forward to the oak tree that would come. And so when Jesus comes, it's as if he says, all that potential that was locked up in the acorn now has come to full flower in the kingdom of heaven. It's simply reached its potential. I hope you can see why this is exciting. This is what we, how we should treat the Old Testament law. All of it, all of Jesus' teaching finds itself rooted in the Old Testament. He sees all of it locked up within the acorn of the law. And he says, let me show you now how it's fulfilled. Here's some ways that Jesus fulfills the law. Let me just rattle through these quickly. He fulfills the law in the way he lives. He lives it perfectly. He's the only man who's ever lived, who's perfectly lived out the law. Every single part of the Old Testament law perfectly lived out in Jesus. He is the embodiment of that beautiful life that God gave to Israel. No one has ever done that before. Never been seen before. Despite all the great people of the past of Israel, no one's ever been able to keep the law. But Jesus did. Kept it fully, kept it completely. Isn't that cool? So the law does not condemn Jesus. The law does not point the finger. The law simply says, look at him, look at him, look at him. Isn't he beautiful? It's almost as if the law, if it was personal, you can't really personify the law. But if it was, it'd be like a proud parent going, look, look. Look at him, isn't he beautiful? He's doing everything that, that I want, everything that I say. The law is fulfilled. But he also fulfills the law in his death. You see, Jesus lived it perfectly. But that doesn't really help us. Because we can look at him and go, oh great, isn't he beautiful? Great for him. But, but how does that help us? Well, it helps us because he lived it perfectly. And then he did this extraordinary thing. As the king of the kingdom of heaven, he came and he stepped into our place And he took the curse 
that I deserve for the law, my law-breaking. And so Jesus has fulfilled all of the punishments of the law by dying on a cross. He's taken it all. He fulfilled it in his life and then he fulfilled it in his death. The law no longer condemns me because Jesus was condemned by it, right? So if the law is a proud parent saying, oh, look at my son, isn't he beautiful? Look at, look at him. As the law looks at me, it says, you're disgusting, you're a disgrace, you failed, you've fallen short, you've fallen short. And Jesus says, yeah, but I'll save him. And Jesus steps into our place of failure. He steps into our place of weakness. He steps into our place of condemnation. And he takes the condemnation. He takes what the law demands so that he fulfills it perfectly. And he fulfills it in his teaching. Which is going to bring us on to the second point. You see, in in this first point, you can see, right? I've not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Jesus is so clear in verse 18. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. He says there's still, the law isn't, isn't disappearing. Every little tiny letter is still to be fulfilled. It still matters, everything. So when you know that Jesus has fulfilled the law, I think our response should be, oh, how I love your law. That we would learn to be people who love the law like it was meant to be loved. That we'd find our hearts not resisting and hating the law, not wanting to chuck it off, but actually wanting to embrace it. I love your law. And we would read God's law and we'd love it. Oh, how I love your law. Because as you love the law, you're actually loving Jesus because Jesus is the perfect representation of the law. But we need to move on, right? Because we've still got something really important to do. Because I still haven't helped you to work out about shrimps, okay? That's the next bit. So it lasts. God's word, it lasts forever. It, it, it continues forever. It hasn't changed. Verse 19, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly, we will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What, what is Jesus teaching? It seems to me he's being very clear. He says, if you relax the Old Testament law, if you teach someone that they don't have to obey even the least of the commandments then you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. This is causing trouble, right? If you're thinking this is causing trouble, because like, shrimps, shrimps, what about the shrimps? Well, this is, this is how I want to sum this up, and then I'll explain it. What Jesus is doing here is he's not relaxing the law, but he's maximizing it. Not relaxing it, but maximizing it. You see, that word sets aside one of the least of these commands. It it literally means relax it. So perhaps we think, okay, fine, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but he's come to make it slightly easier. 
He's taken out all the difficult commands and he's just said, right, okay, with those, those are a bit over the top. Here, here, here's, here's how you should obey. And he's relaxed it. Jesus is very clear. He says, I haven't done that either. I've not abolished it. I've not relaxed it. Not done either of those things. You don't ignore any of God's commands. You practice and teach those commands. And then he nails it in verse 18 with this extraordinary statement which really would shock you if you lived in Jesus' day. So in verse 20 he says, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Right, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were like the experts in the law. They did it, right, as much as they could. They weren't, they weren't perfect, but they were more close than anyone else. And Jesus comes along and says, yeah, you need to surpass their righteousness. And the issue at stake is whether you're in the kingdom or not. What? How do you do that? Okay. Let's push this a little bit. Okay, let's think. Let's think about this idea of fulfillment. What Jesus is doing is he's saying, now that the kingdom has come, we're no longer just an acorn, we're an oak tree. The law, as it was originally given, was an acorn, which is now grown to an oak tree. The righteousness of the Pharisees and the tax, uh, the tax the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the righteousness of the Pharisees was acorn righteousness. That is what they were living by. They had the law and they were seeking to obey it. But Jesus is saying now that the kingdom has come, there is a oak tree righteousness, which far surpasses any acorn righteousness. Okay, let's keep going with this. I'm going to keep doing this until, until we've all got it, okay? Let me, let me put it another way. You were all fairly happy, I think, most of you, that do not murder um, is a command we should still obey. Yes? Most of us were happy. Now you're nervous. Most of you were happy. Huh. I don't want to mess with your brains. But do not murder is an acorn law. Right? Do not murder is only the acorn of the law. That acorn law has been fulfilled in Jesus. So that acorn do not murder has now been maximized. It's not been shrunk, it's been maximized. So you say, how does Jesus maximize the acorn do not murder? Well, you're going to see this next week. He says, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you, don't even get angry. That's the oak tree. That's the kingdom, right? Acorn, Israel, do not murder. Oak tree, kingdom, don't get angry. Do you see how it surpasses? Jesus is talking about a higher bar. He's talking about a higher standard of righteousness that he's calling us to live in the kingdom of heaven. He's going to give us a bunch of examples next few weeks. Adultery, you've heard it said don't commit adultery. That's the acorn of Israel. Now, don't even look at a woman lustfully. 
Do you see how Jesus is maximizing the commands? The acorn commands are now fulfilled in Jesus and maximized. Okay, let's, let's keep going with this. What about the shrimp? This is the principle. This is how you do it, right? You say, the Old Testament says you must not eat shrimp because they're unclean. Now, what do we do? So you don't have to do that anymore. Ignore that. No, you know what to do now. That's an acorn law. So the question is, how does that acorn law get fulfilled in Jesus and in his kingdom? Jesus says it's not about what you eat and don't eat now. It's about being clean. It's about being pure. It's about living a pure life. So the acorn do not eat shrimp becomes the oak tree. Live a pure life. Get rid of sin. Don't allow uncleanness to live in your heart. Do you see? Do you see how the acorn becomes the oak tree? So do you have to still obey the shrimp law? Yes. In its fulfilled sense. Just like all of them. Okay, let me make it, right, this might make it clearer. (laughs) We're used to this idea, most of us who've been around church, we're used to this idea when it comes to sacrifices. So in the Old Testament law, in the acorn law, you had to take a lamb and sacrifice it and put its blood on the altar and then you'd be forgiven. That was an acorn law. Do we still need to keep that law? Not in its acorn form, but that doesn't mean it's gone. What you do is you say, how is it now fulfilled in the kingdom? How has it become an oak tree? Well, the oak tree in the kingdom is that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb who gave his life, whose blood was poured out, and who offered himself for us. So how do I keep the acorn law? By trusting the lamb. And every Old Testament law, you apply this way. What does it say? How is it fulfilled in Jesus? I want to live in that law. I want to live in the law of the kingdom, the fulfilled law. All right? That's why it will always surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees, because that was just an acorn. Just to fill this in, this is always what God promised was going to happen. It was always his plan that the acorn would be fulfilled by an oak tree. He said this through the prophet Jeremiah. Have a look at these words. God knew that the law on its own was never going to be enough. So he said, this is the covenant I'll make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law, look at it, right? I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. This is the great promise. How is the acorn going to become an oak tree? It's because God is going to take the law and he's going to write it on our hearts. It's going to become something internal, not something external. It's going to become something that we want to do. It's going to become something that we delight to do. Let's wrap all this up and try and land all this. We've done, look, this, is, this is quite big, right? In the next few weeks, we're going to talk about anger. We're going to talk about lust. We're going to talk about kind of keeping our word. Really practical. But we've got to see how it fits. In the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is bringing, Jesus the king goes to a cross and he dies. 
He dies for you because you cannot keep the law. He dies for you because the law will only condemn you. He gives his life so that you can be forgiven. He gives his life so that you can be welcomed into his kingdom. He gives his life to save you. And then he says to you, now live my law. I'll write it on your hearts. I'll put my spirit in you. And the spirit of God will come and he will live with you and he will enable you to keep this law. And suddenly we begin to live a righteousness that even exceeds that of the Pharisees. All of this to say, if you ever think that Jesus saved you and therefore it doesn't matter how you lived, you are so wrong. Jesus said, I saved you so that you would live this oak tree righteousness. So that you would live this law. So that you'd live lives of love and justice and purity. So that you'd live lives where you care for the weak and you bind up the injured. You'd live lives of truthfulness. You'd live lives of purity. That's what he saved you for. That's the surpassing righteousness of the kingdom. So I wonder this afternoon, when you think about obeying Jesus, is that something that brings you joy? Or is it something that makes you go, oh, do you think of a Jesus' commands as being like a 20 mile an hour speed limit sign that says, no, you don't have fun here, no fun here, just drive slowly? Or do you see that the commands of Jesus are the loving, good, beautiful oak tree that he says, this is, how I, this is what I made you for. Live this way. This is where freedom is found. Freedom is not found in abolishing the law. Freedom is found in understanding that Jesus has fulfilled the law and then saved us to live the law. Live the fulfilled law of Jesus. And if we do that, we will shine in this world. If we do that, we will put on display the glory of God. So this week, perhaps, as you go into this week, think, be saying to yourself, Lord, help me to love your law. And help me to want to obey you. Grow within me a desire. Holy Spirit, give me a desire to obey. That I might do what you say. Because you're my king. Why don't we pray? Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we praise you so much for Jesus, our beautiful king. We praise you that he came and has fulfilled the law, that all of the potential of the Old Testament law has now found full flower in Jesus. That he's lived it fully. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died for us and that you saved us, that we might now live this fulfilled law in our lives. So Lord, please teach us more about what this means. Help us to do this. Pray that you'd give us real understanding in the coming weeks as we dig more into what you teach us, that we might live as your beautiful people in this city and that we might put you on display. We ask it in your name. Amen.